mediocre husky podcast on the entire internet remember to subscribe rate review leave a comment do whatever else you want on all major podcast apps and welcome back this week after a week away we don't know what happened we recorded a podcast the internet gobbled it up like so much halloween candy that the little kids will have this weekend it got a sugar high off of our podcast it ran around like a hyperactive little child and now the internet's back to normal, or so we hope. But in our week off, we mentioned that we hoped that Cody Pickett would be here with us this week. I have a very exciting announcement. I am joined tonight by Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how are you doing tonight? Hi. I what you've been a dad for like three months now, right? Uh, four months. Three and three quarters months. months. Because man, you are really leaning into that whole dad joke thing. Already, not even dad joke, just like dad, dad quirky. Oh, it's a kid in the internet. It swallowed it up. What's going on? I don't know. And yep. I'm like, man, that that hit fast. I thought it usually took. I don't. I, were they dad jokes when I was telling them five months no, ago? They, I, I, they were just no. jokes, and now the label affixes itself it. to them. Touche. Um, yeah. So also, one of the, the things. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah, the internet. Yeah. It's the worst. We said smart uh, things. One of the, we said we really did, smart the, things, the, for fuck's the sake. The beauty of it is, there was a bye week. I don't know if we could have put together two episodes worth of interesting content if we were trying to repeat it's ourselves cool. before oh. and after the bye. Well, we, the royal we, the collective we, I would have okay. just been repeating myself. Now yeah, we get to I'm recycle awesome. all that content. Good. Yeah. So let's, let's, one of the things that we wanted to talk about last week, but ultimately did not, or at least not such that anyone could hear, uh, were things that we learned in the first half of the season. How is the team better or worse than we thought it would be at the start of the year? What's What has evolved over the course of the season so far? Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. What have we learned offensively about this Husky team through the first seven games, eight games? Yeah, um, I think my main takeaway, A, is that I was so worried going into the season that for as much as we all love Miles Gaskin, that we were still undervaluing him and that the running game was maybe going to kind of suck this year uh, when that has ended up being um, like a massive strength as uh, we, you know, as uh, I, I um, previously before the Oregon game, I had guest guest appeared. Uh, on Addicted to Quacks podcast, as I do sometimes, ugh, Oregon enemy, gross. But um, as Hifliday over there pointed out, and he is a savant when it comes to just being such a game-charting nerd, as he pointed out, the success rate for UW running plays was like playoff level um, as far as the metrics of, of um, you know, the, or the percentages of, quote-unquote, consistent success. Um, and that was something that I was really, really, really not expecting. And the other thing also is that I, I, I think we all were really excited for Easton. Um, 
but it was kind of one of those things where you're excited for the potential and you don't know if he's necessarily going to actually be what he can be. And I mean, man, he's improved over, he's improved so much since he was 18 and a child. Who would have thought? <laughs> I would say he's probably even improved over the course of the year. I, you sure, know, yeah. it, it's important to not only understand the offense, but also how it interacts with different defenses. Like, mm. how are the root trees going to be different depending on yeah. the defensive looks that you're seeing? And I think we have seen that evolution over the course of the year in the sense that he's able to not only get to the right decision, but get to it faster. And he's getting the ball mm. out more quickly when pressure's coming. And I think the statistics back up that at the start of the year, he was really struggling in situations that were obvious passing downs or when the defense was getting pressure. I don't think he's ever going to be the type of quarterback who's better under pressure, like the super rare guys like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning were, but he has improved and the deficit hasn't been as great as of late. Uh, I think that also speaks to something we talked about earlier. I, I definitely agree with what you said about the running game being very surprisingly solid without somebody as generationally great as Miles Gaskin. I mean, he's a case mm. to be the best running back in program history. Uh, but one thing that has surprised me, maybe this flies in the face of that statement that the running game has stayed steady, but I think we expected our offensive line to look a little more dominant than it has, given the experience, the number of combined starts, how many games a lot of the guys had played together, the fact that we got Trey Adams back after his a year of injury recovery or almost a year of injury recovery. And I wouldn't say the offensive line has been a weakness, but it hasn't been the kind of uh, mauling offensive force that I thought it might be this year. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think you, I think that's pretty much right. Also, were we, I forget when you posed this question, were we specifically talking about the offense? I have a bad short term memory. I don't know. Well, let's talk about the defense next. Yeah. We can go there now if you want. Yeah. I did want to give a quick footnote on the offensive side to the receiving personnel. We've seen that evolve over the course of the year, probably more slowly mm -hmm. than most of us would have liked to see. But the more we've seen of what? Nakua. Are you sure? And, but then also surprisingly, the more we've seen of Jordan Chin and Terrell Bynum, I think more people were probably clamoring for Bynum than Chin. But all three of them yeah. have provided something that we weren't getting whether that was the physical limitations of the incumbents or the, uh, you know, learning to adjust to the mental part of yeah. the game. They've done all of that really well, in my mind, yeah, as the year has gone I think, on. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, I'm not going to put Jordan Chin out as, like, he's not going to be a regular contributor. And, I mean, how many targets does he have? Like, four, maybe, on the year? But, I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, when he d has so far, they've been big ones. but. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I think he's definitely. I don't. I don't expect him to like jump into a uh, huge role. I just think you know he's a decent supporting. You know, get the ball to him every once in a while. But I mean, if you're looking at guys with physical limitations like Aaron Fuller and even more so Andre Bocelli, like he's even more up there. <laughs> As far, you well, know, yeah, I, although like, he's, I think he has like two catches for eighty-seven yards on the season. Yeah, which exactly. Would make it's just him... like. Yeah, yeah, like the, the Georgia Tech's number one receiver in any of the last 15 years. <laughs> yeah, true. Quinton Pounds-esque in that way. Yeah. It's like nothing, yeah. and then you're like, where are you? Why? How did you do that? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, so let's let's talk a little bit uh, defensively. Uh, same kind of subject. What, what has been different or 
uh, has evolved in your thinking over the course of the season so far? Um, the I mean, the, the thing about this is that I get so bored talking about how much of a preposterous disappointment the inside linebackers have been. So it's like, I don't even want to talk about that because it's so obvious and we talk about it every week. Like, I literally, I think, in my uh, stuff and shenanigans right after the Oregon game, just wrote, like, a sentence that was like, the inside linebackers are still terrible. The end. I've said it every week. I don't need to say anymore because there's nothing to elaborate on. Um, but yeah, I mean, man, it really does feel like you're playing with, uh, like, nine or ten guys on the field. Um, and then I also think, you know, I think it's a, for the behind them in the secondary, it's a good reminder that I mean, even though this secondary is still better than most you're going to see, um, I think that there were times in the last handful of years during quote-unquote transition years where we did get spoiled with having guys who are both generational talents and preposterously quick learners, um, like Byron Murphy, um, etc. Um, yeah, Sidney and, Jones did the same thing. Both of them kind yeah, of exploded exactly. a year earlier than I expected them to. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so and because of that, that really definitely mitigated the you know, everything that that should have happened as far as kind of growing pains in, you know, 2015, 2016, um, and then 2017, obviously, when you lost Buddha and Kevin King and Sidney Jones and everybody and their mother to the NFL draft. So I think I think it's a, a good reminder of how the process normally works. Um, and uh, there, I, I'm not someone who's going to go around and be like, I trust the coaches all the time without any reservations and they'll never get anything wrong because I don't know anything because like yeah they do know more than me but there's definitely sometimes where you're like mm, maybe maybe you're not doing this the right way but I think if anyone has earned that benefit of the doubt it's Jimmy Lake obviously um so I mean they look good enough and we know we have enough talent accumulated in that room um and considering how you know young they are and how much new 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 blood there is there where I'm not like, oh my god, we're going to suck in the secondary forever. It's just, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there are individual players who have surprised me with how quickly they've acclimated. We heard a lot during spring and, and fall camp about Cam Williams, and he hasn't really been the true freshman. He's, he's done things well, but he's also had some things where he's really struggled mm-hmm. with taking the wrong route or uh, not identifying the right coverage. But there have been several other yeah, true freshmen. angles. Asa Turner, Trent McDuffie, uh, redshirt freshmen like Tuli Tui Gasanoa, uh, Sam Temani. It's just this list of young players uh, who have been really good. We haven't seen as much of Leatu Leitu, but he has looked very good in in stints when he has played and kind of, mm-hmm. you know we haven't seen as much of him as those others but particularly McDuffie and Turner I would say and Thule have have really shown that not only do they have star potential but they're much closer to it than I thought they would be this early in their career which is a really good sign for the future because those are extremely important positions where we're going to have them for yeah. at least a couple of years after this year. Yeah and in that way especially when you're looking at McDuffie and Turner because um, since um, Tooley's a redshirt freshman and Cam Williams was here during spring. So he has like, you know, 50% more time in the program already yeah. than Asa Turner and McDuffie. Um, so I think it, when you're looking at especially guys like that, uh, seeing them, that improvement by the time it's, you know, now late October, um, that, that's, that's fast. And it really reminds me of, um, before the season, I wrote a thing 
uh, I think it was, in, was it during the spring. I think it was like a spring preview-ish kind of thing about the defense. And it was kind of like, yeah, there's going to be moments where this is kind of going to suck in a way that we're not used to as Washington fans. But I think you're going to be able to see the tangible improvement, um, you know, whether that's on the stat sheet or just in looking at how guys play. And um, because they're so young and so because the marginal uh, utility of, you know, each game that they play and each rep that they get is so huge for that. So I think you're really kind of seeing that happen because uh, with those guys and with a lot of the young guys. Um, and so pretty much being it, yeah, it's going to suck sometimes. Um, but you're going to see a lot of improvement with the amount of talent that this group has and considering how young they are. And, you know, the last couple games, even though Oregon sucked, um, a lot of the predictive measures other than the loss that would come from that look decent, like look pretty good for the future, you know? And it, uh, dang it, this is where I, I'm really sad that we had last week get deleted because I pretty much, my whole thing was like, as a fan, the Oregon game sucked. Like, it was a, just emotional sucker punch. It was terrible and I hate it and I want to die. But as somebody who's looking at just what is happening beyond the loss, I actually do feel a lot better about this team going forward. Yeah, and that was, we spent 20 or 30 minutes, I think, really effectively talking ourselves and many other fans off the ledge about how there was a, a very frustrating component of that game counting as a loss in the loss column, but also some really encouraging components about how there were things we weren't sure we could do, like basically put together a dominant air attack against a really good defense that we did in that game, which opens up more possibilities for the rest of the year. Um, and the thing that did shoot us in the foot was something we already knew was a problem. And it's interesting that you mentioned yeah, exactly. how these true freshmen, well, yeah, it would have been really nice if we would have had that out there a week ago. Think of all of the value that would have provided to depressed fans <laughs> who needed somebody. Yeah. We could I have know. been their therapy dogs. Um, I know. But uh, their therapy dubs is uh, oh so good. And who's the one with the the uh, dad like wordplay now? Uh, but I did want to say yeah. uh, regarding something you mentioned a minute ago about how some of these true freshmen are high variance players that going mm -hmm. into a game you could see really big improvement, you could see really big mistakes. And I think even just the guys that we've talked about, like Cam Williams, still an extremely promising player, but a couple of the mistakes he made have been very visible. And and it's frustrating to see that as a fan. And then some of the successes that some of these same guys have had are also very impressive and visible, which kind of begs the question of why we haven't seen more of the depth inside linebacker since that is such a... a festering wound over the course of the year and i know that that calvert was injured in fall camp and uh you know ali Keho was supposed to be here and, and abandoned us because he couldn't play football anymore at least not in this state and camilo eifler is in mm -hmm. illinois and uh, dj beavers is permanently uh unable to play football it's just a very bad combination of things but i would it didn't hit, uh, uh we even had mj tafisi have that really bad stinger uh, in the Arizona game. So it's just one thing after another. It's been very frustrating, but I would like to see some, uh, you know, whether it's Hamuli or Sermon towards the end of the year, just see something else. So if it's going to be bad, at least there's the variance in the yeah. badness or there's some development associated with the failure because having 
seniors continue to fail is doubly bad because they're not going to yeah. get we're not going to gain anything from it long term. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's like, well, what's you know what? I mean, you're going to have the same performance, and if they're going to suck, they're well, they're not going to be here next year. So it's not like you're getting them reps that really matter for development. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it was interesting what you said earlier about playing like nine on eleven or ten on eleven. It's like uh, a soccer team when somebody got red carded. Yeah. I, I wonder if Brandon Wellington yeah. thinks that he got red carded at some point this year and, and isn't supposed to actually be on the field. So we have four games mean, remaining. Yeah. I, I'm not accusing him of that. I'm I'm wondering if that's the case, if we could get through to him, that he is allowed to fill the gap. Uh, four games remaining on the schedule. Utah this week, which we'll preview a little later. We travel to Corvallis for the Oregon State game. Then we go to Colorado, and then we host the Apple Cup. Do you think there is a terrible a little bit or a pretty decent chance that the Huskies are able to win out and still get to nine wins headed into a bowl game? Um, I think it is probably 50, 50. Um, I think the one thing that it, the thing with this Utah game is it really does in the past. It's a game that I'm always scared about all the time. And, you know, but I'm like, I think I, tr- I'm like, I trust my I trust Washington to win because Washington beats Utah. That's what they do. They beat Utah and it's terrifying and we both hate it the whole time. <laughs> and uh then whatever. But um I think definitely this year with how uh morbid the defense uh against the run has been, Zach Moss really, 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 really freaks me out. Um but the rest the rest of the team outside of him and Bradley and I I'm not as worried about as I would have been before Oregon, I suppose. Um, you know, I think I I think Tyler Huntley is is you know one of the better quarterbacks in the in you know in, in the Pac-12, but he's not. He's he's kind of shifty and he's a good thrower, but he's not. You know, he's not like Easton level. They're gonna chuck it seventy yards and beat you. He's typically anyway. I'm gonna say like. He's a good passer, but he's not a great quarterback, you know? Um, he's just a very good one. So um, I'm not – I mostly trust the defense except for against Zach Moss, and then I trust them not at all. Um, and then I trust the offense a lot more, um, especially given that I, from what I've seen, their secondary has, hasn't been as dominant, or at least as consistently dominant uh, as, as they – have been in the past, and granted, I haven't started doing my actually comprehensive research for my defensive preview, so I might, I might go rewatch a lot more film, um, you know, with more in depth, and then have to add a comment once we publish this. That's like, haha, just kidding, I lied. But that's what I've seen so far, <laughs> um, and yeah. But I still, yeah, we can... you know, I still think they're probably, I'd say, sorry to interrupt, but I'd say probably sixty percent chance Utah wins but I really wouldn't be shocked if UW can pull it off. And then if they do that, I think they win out. Yeah. How about of those last three at Oregon state at Colorado versus Washington state, which one of those scares you the most, or are they all just kind of, you're fairly comfortable with them? You know what? This is going to sound weird. And I don't think this team would be able to actually pull this off because 
after 60 minutes of a game, there's a, such a huge talent advantage for UW. I think Oregon State probably has most of the potential to, like, fuck shit up. I don't think they're going to, but, I mean, they've their offense is genuinely good. Um, and with, I mean, even with Jermar Jefferson being injured for so much of the year, Octavius Pierce has been great and, you know, he's been great since before Jefferson got there. So, you know, that's to be expected. Um, and I think they're more, you know, their defense is still pretty bad, but as we saw against Stanford, sometimes, you know, if UW, they seem like a team where if UW were to just phone it in, they could end up being, having like an oh crap moment. Um, I don't think that's likely at all, but I, I could see it. Because I think Colorado Steve, is Steven Montez is he gets rattled so easily and um you know I, I think Wazoo is just having a down year too so I, I don't really you know yeah it's a tough question to answer I think just based on my eyes I would agree with you that Oregon State is the one that scares me the most there's a matchup issue in that they block well they call plays in a way that creates good running opportunities for either of their running backs. And those are things that we've struggled with this year. And they're, I, I guess, uh, Fontenot for Colorado is a pretty st- solid running back and Max Borges too, but those just aren't, they aren't emphasized in those offenses the same way that Jefferson mm-hmm. and Pierce are. But statistically, if you look into the, the advanced stats, uh, the FEIs and F pluses and S and P's and what have you, uh, Pretty much across the board, Oregon State is still ranked like in the low 80s or 90s in the country, which doesn't mm-hmm. square with what I've seen, but it makes me feel a little bit better about that one. Um, so, yeah, it's a tough call. I, I Until I see Mike Leach adapt in a way that is in any way uh, frightening to Jimmy Lake and Pete Kwiatkowski, I'm not going to be very terrified of them so i mean maybe by default it's colorado but they've played like garbage lately i guess they almost beat usc last week so maybe there's something to that and it's a road game i don't know it's a tough call anyway i think i agree with you that there is a pretty decent chance if we can get by utah there is a possibility of running the table uh we'll talk a little bit more uh about utah after we come back from our commercial break so stick around and we'll be back in about I don't know, 30 seconds, 90 seconds. How long did these things last? Anyway, stick around. I don't know. Who's to say? No one actually knows. We'll be right back. Who knows? Welcome back from that break of indeterminate length. We are going to talk a little bit more about Utah and then move on to the rest of the conference and the country in college football. Uh, Utah, if you haven't been paying attention, is up to number nine in the country, which is pretty impressive, which puts them on the fringe of that one loss college football playoff contender status, probably behind Oregon for now, but their paths could cross. They only lost one game that was on the road at USC on a Friday night short week game. They come into Husky Stadium favored by three and a half. It's probably one of the only times we've seen Utah favored over UW in the uh, Peterson uh, versus Whittingham era, uh, and that yeah, is I think since uh, 2015. That sounds right, and and that was I believe also the last yeah. time that Utah beat UW, which because they are uh, yep. one and four against Peterson, including obviously two and zero or zero and two last year, culminating in a. Also, can we? <laughs> yep. Oh no no keep going and then I'll. No, say culminating in a thought. in front of a packed house in. Uh, whatever suburb of San Francisco 
in Santa Clara, wherever they play the 49ers games in front of nobody at all, was where we beat them 10 to 6 in one of the ugliest games in recent memory. So we talked a little Utah. What else stands out to you about this team so far this season? Um, well, I just want to appreciate for one moment that the last time Utah beat, just looking at so how far Utah has come, like it's not like their recruiting is really that much higher than it used to be, but just looking at the last time they beat UW, it was with Devontae Booker, who's a god, uh, or at least was, uh, and was just such a badass. They're kind of like Stanford-y in that they they just always come out with these running backs they pull out their ass and that are awesome. And offensive but, lines, uh, which is probably very closely related. Yeah, yeah. but can, can we just appreciate the upgrade that it was uh, that is going from Travis Wilson to Tyler Huntley? Yeah, no kidding. Which is something, because he was a... Tall, gangly, <laughs> not great. Not graceful. <laughs> not terrible, I wouldn't call him but a graceful human not being. Not graceful, no. not a great passer. Man, Tyler Huntley is I I love Utah every moment that they're not playing us. I agree. I think I, I always Anyways, have a soft spot I, in my heart yeah. for them, like seeing them do well in the South. It's just I, maybe it's the fact that they haven't been in the conference very long, that there hasn't been enough time to build up hatred or resentment toward them, or the fact that the Huskies have generally done very well against them, so they haven't, again, had hatred or resentment. But I, I also I, kind of like yeah. them. Yeah. This is my, can I say really quickly, my theory for why I like I like them. And this is, I'm I, like, in the offseason, I mentioned this once on the, our Twitter account, not my own personal one, about, like, something about how Utah versus UW is a rivalry because the whole time that we play, I'm just stressed out the whole time. And then there's always one call where both teams hate each other or fan bases hate each other for 24 hours and we forget about it. Then we're like, you're cool. Um, <laughs> but I think the reason why, besides that, why I like Utah is because they're one of the only programs in the Pac-12 that I feel like I can respect because they have their shit together in a way that not most, like when you look at USC and UCLA and how Oregon was for a sec with Halford and Taggart and like, you know, and how Arizona was and still mostly is and how Arizona State was under Graham, I feel like Utah was the one program that I just could respect as, you know, how Kyle Whittingham and the whole place run or ran. And so I think that's kind of, for me personally, the underlying kind of thing that informs why they, I kind of root for them. My counterpoint would be that I hate Stanford and that with US, this version of USC <laughs> that does not have its shit together makes me like them or hate them less. It's, it's, they're less threatening. Yeah, it? but you don't root for them. No, I, I think it's just... <laughs> it's like they're a joke. When they're bad, I can enjoy their stadium and their uniforms, which are good, without just worrying about the com- competitive element because they're a total not threat. Mm-hmm. So it, maybe that's why I, I want them to keep Clay Helton until he's 95 years old. Uh, one thing, so I think that the line on Utah this year has generally been, this team always has a great defense, and they have a great defense this year. I think it's, depending on where you look, uh, some of the advanced metrics have them ranked as high as fifth or sixth in the country, predicated on they're giving up something like 2.4 yards per rush, which is just insane. And the team as a whole is, I think, plus double figures in turnover margin or, or close to a nine or 10. Uh, but the difference this yeah. year, they've had defenses like this before, but this year they at least have a good offense. And if you look at it in terms of 
putting points on the board, not a perfect metric because it's highly pace dependent. They're not a team that's ever going to play super fast, but they are 37th in the country in points per game, which is the first time they're in the top 50 since 2010. So even those other teams, like when you mentioned Booker, it's been a decade. The last time we were like Obama still had some dark hair at that point. And like the apprentice was how we knew Donald Trump and things like that. Uh, it's been a very long time since their offense was this good. And if you take uh, metrics adjusted for pace, some of them have them ranked as high as uh, a 21 or 20 to 25 range, which is very good. It's, it's actually not as good as Washington's offense, but their defense is so much better than ours that they probably come into this game mm-hmm. as a, they're a three, three and a half point favorite, which is probably valid, but there is a path for us winning this game because they lost to USC. We could kind of look at that as a blueprint, which was, deeper passes. And if you can keep the quarterback upright long enough to get the ball downfield, that one was a little fluky because it was Matt Fink throwing like lame ducks up, playing a game of 500 and having his team come up with it. But Eason actually can do that on purpose. And there is a path to that working. So, (laughs) so hopefully uh, we can overcome some of that. Is there anything else that you've seen watching Utah this year that where they look semi vulnerable because it, it really looks like defensively they're, they're kind of a juggernaut. Yeah, no, I think really that's pretty much it. And I think in that way, it really comes down to um, neutralizing as best as they can, Bradley and I. Because, like, you know, like, you know, like when you're looking at that USC game, um, that even though it was a fluke in most reasonable ways, um, it was still those kind of long 50 50 passes and completing those that, that, that kind of screwed Utah over in the end. And, so just being able to give Eason time to make those um, against, you know, the main guy you're going to look out for is going to be Bradley and I off the edge. Um, I think just being able to keep him upright for that is huge. Um, and as well, I think my gut is that Puka Nakua's emergence couldn't have come at a better time because if, you know, just like it's been all year, but it's even more so, if we were relying on Pichelli and, and Aaron Fuller to, you know, get 50-50 balls, like, they're not going to do that. Um, and so I think having Nakua and then especially supplementing that with um, Hunter Bryant and then Kate Otten just for, you know, to kind of ground it, grind it out. Um, and then, you know, that sh- within all reasonable assumptions should actually give Fuller a little bit of space to do not that. Um, and so, yeah, when I look at Washington on offense, uh, in this situation, that's kind of really comes down to, to protecting Eason. Agreed. And it'll be interesting to see Fuller and Nakua on the field together, presumably more often, because in the Oregon game, Fuller was mostly on the sideline when Nakua was a more integral part of the offense. I know they'd shared the field before that, but it was certainly the most snaps Nakua had seen to date. So hopefully he can do, you know, draw enough attention to get Fuller a little bit more room, which he tends to make the most of, but isn't going to get it on his own. Yeah. So I think that brings us through the Husky-centric portion of the show. And if you don't want to listen to things about the rest of the Pac-12, open your mind a little bit. There's a whole world of football out there and a whole conference to start with. We'll talk a little non-Pac-12 at the end. Uh, So one thing we talked about last week, and I think it has, you know, Wait. Maybe evolved a little bit. Wait, yeah. Wait, wait. 
can I interrupt you? Because I'm going to, even if you say no. no. Um, this is another thing I'm sad about. I'm sad about uh, uh, last week, the things that got deleted, because you asked what is the most likely to be an upset or to, to happen, Michigan over Notre Dame, Wisconsin over Ohio State, or uh, Auburn over or LSU. And not that it was that hard, but I would just like the internet to know, for the record, that I called it. Yeah, I think we, end, we both <laughs> felt pretty strongly that of those three, easy. Michigan was the most likely to win. Yeah. I didn't expect them. I, I was uh, I took the uh, bye week and went to Leavenworth for the weekend and wasn't really paying attention to that game. But we walked by a bar and it was on. And I think at that point it was like 21 nothing or 17 nothing. And I, it was a little rainy and I kind of like double t- did a double take. I didn't quite believe it. I walked past the window, went over to the door, walked into the bar just to get a closer look at the TV, just because I was having trouble believing that Michigan was that far up on Notre Dame so early. But it was pretty one-sided from what I could tell. Mm-hmm. Which, like yeah. you said, we I mean, definitely I, called. Yeah, we called it. It was the it was like such an easy call out of those three. But I still would like the world to know that you and I well, called much it. needed called for the easiest multiple uh, in the much world. needed Harbaugh win over a highly ranked rival because those have been hard for him to come by while he's been in Michigan. So if you don't hate Harbaugh or Michigan, it's probably a good thing. If you hate them, maybe a bad thing, or maybe it doubles back on itself, snake eating its tail and it keeps him around long enough to continue losing to Ohio state. I don't know. So moving on. No, it's a good, good topic. Uh, we, everybody needs to know about that. It mm-hmm. proves our bona fides. One of the other things we talked about was who would win a theoretical Utah-Oregon Pac-12 title game. One caveat that we should add is that Utah does not control their own destiny. Um, well, or if you ask certain coaches about this, it's not destiny because destiny uh, isn't controllable by humans. That's uh, something that happens due to fate. So they don't control their own ability to make it to the Pac-12 title game, to be very literal. Uh, they trail USC. They're tied in record, but they lost the head-to-head matchup. So they need USC to lose another game. Uh, that could very well happen this week. Wait, who does uh, who does USC? What's their schedule? Uh, they play Who's Oregon this week. Uh, I don't remember the rest of their schedule, yeah, but that's that right. is their uh, most difficult game remaining on the schedule. So uh, from there, uh, okay. could go a number of ways, but we will see. And uh, I still think based on quality of teams, those are the two best teams uh, that we have in the Pac-12 this year. So it's fun to wish cast them into the Pac-12 title game. But if that's the case, how do you see that playing out between those two? And has it changed at all from your uh, evaluation that nobody heard last week? Yeah, it does. Because last week I said, what did I say? I think I said like 63 or 65% chance I think Oregon wins it, probably about a 35% chance Utah wins it. And I think I'm really going the opposite way now, probably a 60-40 Utah, if, if that happens. Uh, but then again, it is kind of the Utah tradition to look great and then crap it up in November. So who knows? But then again, then again, we don't see any evidence of this being that same team. So yeah, I think I'm, I'm really going to swap that. Um, it's, I think... I don't know. I think Utah's more. I don't know. Obviously, the word isn't. They don't have more of a havoc factor, isn't the word because that's an actual you know statistic that you can measure. 
and I don't know where either of those stand, but I just, I feel like they have more units on that team, um, especially on defense, where there actually is a, like, kind of wow factor. Uh, and especially after seeing last week where Utah just completely dominated, granted a garbage Cal offense, um, but also offensively dominated their very good defense, and then Cal or Oregon looked kind of like how you're expecting Oregon to look uh, this year if you're a Husky fan that was biased uh, going into the season. So, yeah, I'm changing that. I think if those two were to meet in the title game, it's a 60% chance Utah wins it, 40% chance. Yeah, I think part of the, I don't want to call it hype around Oregon, but just their reputation stemmed from this Mm -hmm. string of games where they gave up six, three, six, seven, three points consecutively. And that was followed mm. quickly by 31-35 by us and by Wazoo, which yeah. are not really comparable or identical offenses in any way. So clearly there are things you can do to this team. The way to success in both of those games was the deep pass. So if again, if you have a quarterback who can make throws downfield, it's going to be challenging. Uh, could be challenging this week against USC because – they have Keaton Slovis back, and they have three of the best receivers in the conference. Uh, after that, uh, you were asking about the rest of USC's schedule. They play Arizona State, Cal, and UCLA. So, uh, yeah, they, <laughs> Utah might be having to cheer yeah. for Oregon this week. Uh, but that would, yeah, that would suck, man. <laughs> I would feel so bad for Utah because they're so clearly the superior team that just had like this one thing. Yeah, schedule <laughs> monster ate them alive once again, and it's. Uh, that was a weird game too, but they they had so many penalties in that game, and they came at terrible times, kept disrupting drives and turning good field position into punts and things like that. So uh, that would that would be a bad situation. I'm with you. I, I think I said last week I I slightly take Utah as well, and I'm still there right now. But you know, a lot of bridges to cross before we get there. Uh, while we're talking about the LA mm-hmm. schools, do you have any idea what's going on with UCLA? They've they've now put up back-to-back wins over Stanford and Arizona State, who at different times of the year have looked somewhere between, I don't know, terrible and excellent. I mean, those two teams are also hard to peg. But uh, UCLA is now hosting Colorado this week, and they – I don't get it. What's going on with them? Explain it to me. I am going to level with you. I don't either. They're in my – they're like the Charlie Kelly – from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, they're Charlie Kelly style, this wild card bitches. I'm the wild card. I, I, I just, they're so, it's, yeah, it's so, I feel like typically when I pay attention to college football, uh, I, you know, especially in the Pac 12, you know, because I'm putting more of my attention towards that, I, I feel like I typically get a good sense for like what these teams are and what, you know, what they're really how you can kind of bend them and, 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 uh, what what um, buttons to push and stuff uh, in any given matchup, and I just don't, I don't, und- I don't understand. Like I'm, I, they're so beyond confounding to me that that a program could be s- so anemic and so, and then all of a sudden just pull, you know, go up to eleven for one game. I guess in this case too, but you know, like that Wazoo game, and then going back to crapping the bed for what three weeks, four weeks, and then I just, I just, it's there's a level of inconsistency where once you hit that level, 
it's impossible to really look at that at a team and 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 pretend that you know what's going on. Yeah, it's you know? I, it's funny that you mentioned Charlie uh, Charlie Kelly because there's also uh, Chip Kelly leaning on Joshua Kelly. Um, yeah. Spelled differently, but a whole team of Kellys. So many Kellys. But it, like last week, I, it kind of the, the Wazoo thing just seemed like a vortex, like something weird happened that nobody could explain, and we just have to let that go because uh, it was like yeah. 18 minutes and 49 points or something. And then the Stanford game was, I think, on a Thursday night, and they were starting Jack West, who I think is their ninth string quarterback and hadn't actually graduated from high school yet. Uh, so you could kind of chalk that one up to some other weird stuff. Yeah, but then Arizona State, I like, I don't, I don't understand what happened. I, again, I, I, I Kelly was the the he had thirty four carries. They called fifty seven run plays against twenty three passes. So that's, I mean, not a mistake that they've just kind of taken the air out of the ball and not let DTR turn yeah. the ball over. But it, it, it's very a very strange way to play. But I mean, yeah. Congrats to Chip Kelly, I guess, for finding something that works with a group that lost decidedly to Cincinnati and San Diego State earlier this year. So uh, who knows? Maybe maybe that's the team that ends up winning the Pac-12 South. Wouldn't that be yeah. perfect Pac-12 uh, anarchy for this year? I would crucify myself. Is it crucifixion if you do it to yourself? That would be, that would be so beyond preposterous. I don't know. There's well, only one way uh, to find out. Do, but okay, I have a question for you. <laughs> and that's looking up the definition. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll crucify myself, and then we can see yeah. what Miriam Webster like We're going to have to get a ruling on this, Miriam. Uh, no. Um, what was I? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. How much do you think the UCLA-ASU game was... Mm, how much of it do you think was UCLA actually like being good, weirdly? Or how much do you think was ASU kind of stumbling after their loss? I, Arizona State's that could very well be that this this was a team that was getting by on kind of believing in themselves just narrowly because they they beat two they beat Kent State and Sacramento mm-hmm. State which and not even that convincingly and then they snuck by Michigan State in a very fluky game lost to Colorado uh, beat Cal in the game Garbers got hurt beat Washington State in the week that got their defensive coordinator mm-hmm. fired. So is it kind of like, are, are any of these wins proving all, all that much to us? Or they're, they're like just believing themselves just enough. That does seem like a plausible theory to me that at some point they're just no longer feeling good enough about themselves to allow them to keep executing on these fine margins. It's a very hard thing to define, but that, that seems at least possible to me. Yeah, and I don't think it's something where it's like literally they stop believing and then they crack because you know I mean that is I think an oversimplification, but it, I I wouldn't be shocked if it's you know I mean you you're it's a team with a true freshman quarterback and and they're uh you know I, I it it wouldn't shock me if after a certain point you you know you could get distracted and and kind of. Have be have have those cracks kind of shine through, and then UCLA yeah. is able to take advantage of that. You know, I don't know. I still think they're, they're even but. the fact that they held Utah, who we have established on this podcast, is a pretty good offense to twenty one points, and then immediately turned around and gave up forty two to UCLA, mm-hmm. who is not a good offense. Is weird. This is a weird team. Uh, let there's yeah yeah. Dare I say uh, terrible? Yeah. 
Except in the Vortex. Uh, there are two games this week in the entire country between two ranked teams. <laughs> One is Georgia at Florida uh, in a country music song. And the other is SMU at Memphis, which is a weird game that I, I believe College Game Day is going there instead of uh, to the uh, yeah. It's a it's a weird location for them to go. It's kind of fun. It's world's world's largest. Outdoor yeah, although no, they're going to Memphis Memphis. though. They're going to the SMU Memphis game. Uh, no. Oh no! I thought you were saying they're going oh, there right. instead well, of the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, yeah. which is so. I've always liked that name. I think they kind of went away from it um, in the same way that they've gone away from the Red River Rick? Shootout because it has guns in it and like cocktails are a problem. Oh, I guess it's like cocktails are cocktails are American <laughs> yeah, problem. Drug cocktails, so. opioid cocktails. Uh, uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, oh, wow, they do call it a, a cocktail as well. Um, so Georgia at Florida, I, I keep feeling like Florida is about to go on a three-game losing streak where they turn the ball over nine times and score a total of fourteen points. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened yet. Do you think this might be where it starts? Yep, I uh, I think I think you have it. I, Florida kind of reminds me of the SEC better version of ASU, where it's like. You're good enough to trick us for a while, but you're not gonna, like, you're not gonna maintain this, you know. Especially, who did they, did they have Kyle Trask? I know they had Frank. Yeah, Trask is still in now. Pat, yeah, and Trask, and then yeah. I I mean I just obviously they're a better program and a better team than when Jim McElwain was their coach with with Dan Mullen here, but I mean they're they're still very forward at E, and uh, I I can't really. I think this is going to be the one where, where they do to to call back to earlier in the this episode where they pull a Utah, uh, a Utah classic, prior to 2019. Well, maybe Utah will pull a Utah classic in 2019 too. You know where they just kind of go on a slide and you thought they were great, probably not. A friend of mine today pointed out that in guess. the history of the college football playoff, there have been ten teams that have qualified and. Only two have made it from the SEC, which is mind-boggling. But only Alabama and Georgia have ever made the college football playoff from the SEC, which means Florida, yeah. LSU, uh, you know, every other Auburn have never made it, which seems like it very well may change this year with LSU. But mm-hmm. I guess part of that is that Alabama makes it every year, and they usually are getting there on the heels of winning an SEC title game, which is kind of a de facto playing game for the tournament unless Alabama somehow loses it. But this game kind of functions in the same way. It's which of these teams still has a shot at playing Alabama in the play-in game for the college football playoff. And probably neither of them are going to beat Alabama. That will be their second loss and neither one of them will go. And this game will be a play-in game to the Citrus Bowl. Uh Um, Yeah. What, is yeah, Florida they only, only lost to LSU. They had that I, weird game against oh, wow. Auburn where it kept looking like Auburn okay. was going to pull away and never did and couldn't score any points and just kept uh, turning the ball over and, and losing it. Uh, oh, SMU right. at Memphis is a fun game. I can't say that I know much about either of these teams right now, except that Craig James and Eric Dickerson have been leading the Mustangs back to prominence, which is a, a fun thing. Um, that That's about as far as it goes. <laughs> Although Memphis does have a very cool offense uh, and they play very high tempo and kind of 
nutty, aggressive play calling. So maybe that will produce some fireworks in this game. Yeah. Well, their um, their head coach, at least I think he's still there, was Arizona State's offensive coordinator under um, uh, Todd Graham. And I believe their quarter is their quarterback still Brady White. He very well, maybe. I just yeah. told you I, I don't, don't know. Why know I'm it. asking yes, you all is. these things. Like I could probably look them up. Either way, they're like, yeah, they're like ASU, ASU from 2016 light, except for you know, I mean, offensively. And then uh, uh, yeah, Sunny Dykes and Shane Bichelle. You know, yeah. Sunny Dykes is there, and then Shane Bichelle. So it's like this, this like mashup of Cal and and. Texas yeah. dropouts. Uh, SMU's had some weird games. They had a three overtime win over Tulsa. They beat TCU by three points. They beat Houston by three points. So they, they've been uh, walking on a tightrope to remain undefeated, but it's kind of cool that uh, this is the first time they've been ranked since they got the death penalty. So good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of being speaking of being crucified, yeah, they about the team that got the death penalty. Uh, <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's move into Closing up the show with recommendations and plugs if you want to hear more about uh, self-immolation and crucifixion and whatnot. Uh, Gaby, do you have any shows coming up? Uh, well, no. I had my one uh, that I plugged last week, but that already happened in the past now. Um, and then also my stomach acted up, so I almost barfed on stage, but I didn't. It was fun. Um yeah, uh, my stomach is terrible at doing things. Um, but yeah, I don't really have anything worthwhile for myself to plug. But I know I've mentioned this in the past, and now that it is coming up in the near future, um, the first preliminary week for uh, Seattle International Comedy Competition is next week, and then the second prelim week is the week after that. Um, and they're doing shows uh, as far north as they change up the locations each year, but they pretty much there's a show in a different city each day. Um, and there's a bunch of super friggin' funny comics on there from around the world, including some locals who whom I love very much. Um, so yeah, uh, if you listen to this and living between like Olympia and Bellingham or whatever, um, check out uh, Seattle International Comedy Competitions website or their Facebook I think has probably a little bit better updated um, because the people who are on this are you know a lot of them are going to be on late night and headlining uh, uh, you know getting some specials in the next few years um, because that's what happens the finalists and the winners and the semifinalists the people in general who are accepted into it uh, go on to be awesome and it's one of the most prestigious competitions in the continent, really. Now that I say it. So, yeah, go watch. You're going to watch uh, very funny yeah, people. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, <laughs> I will also do a stand-up comedy thing, which is uh, the new Jenny Slate special on Netflix, which is hilarious. She's very, very funny. Um, it's interspersed with, I guess, dialogue yeah. about her life and her family and her personal issues and mental health issues and things like that. Uh, I, I, the only other stand-up that I, special that I ever remember seeing like that is the one Neil Brennan did a couple of years ago called, I think, Three Mics, where he would kind of go between doing stand-up and doing more testimonial stuff. But this was almost like a short film about her life interspersed with stand-up, and it is called Stage Fright. She talks about how nervous she gets in front of people. So it, it is closely related to the story you were just telling about almost throwing up on stage. Uh, 
although oh that wasn't like sure. a, well, a nerves thing that's just my stomach sometimes it's like, I'm, way, gonna I'm like no don't and it's like too bad well, and I'm like, there's, no, there's a lot of, of all roads lead to yeah. throwing up on stage but i didn't barf uh but very very funny uh last mm-hmm. week we didn't get to air this but i told this very strange story about how i had a conversation two separate conversations within about 10 minutes of each other about a book called our man in havana and a movie the third man which i found out only later were both written by the same person graham green uh, and i did end up going back and rewatching the third man which i vowed to do last week and it is one of the best uh movies of the decade in which it was made i think the 50s uh which was it is it's about a uh spy going into post-war vienna and uh one of his i think it's his friend gets murdered and he thinks there is a plot afoot and he ends up being right but it's very simple and straightforward it's very much worth watching if you haven't seen it before you just spoiled well, no, it i mean the, the, the movie is about him right examining this and uh like investigating it looking into it oh but, yeah <laughs> and then okay. kevin spacey was him all the whole time it was Kevin like, Spacey. Snape kills Dumbledore. Getting his just desserts. <laughs> I think that does it for this week. We've <laughs> jammed two what, weeks we worth of content in about 50 minutes, plus however long those commercials are, which we already established. We don't know. We're hoping that next week our very special guest will be Cody Pickett himself. Do you think it's going to happen this time? Oh, F, that would be awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I think it's going to happen every time. And I'm just sorely disappointed every week when you're like, just kidding, we don't have Cody Pickett. And I'm like, F you to a hole. <laughs> I don't know why all of a sudden I'm self To me or to, the, to now. our producer? I, I think we should blame. No, the, yeah. the universe. Yeah, Rob, I mean. Yeah, or Rob. We haven't Rob. really booked a lot of guests, but I assume that if that responsibility belonged to anyone, it would probably be him. So let's just hope Rob uh, gets it figured out. Do some Do some producing probably. back there. Uh, and in the meantime, yeah, yeah, produce our <laughs> shit, Rob. I mean, produce our s, Rob. So let's hope we are talking to you next week after a win. And in the meantime, thanks for listening. Go Huskies. Um, go dogs. Bye bye. And Rob tells us now that we can suck it. <laughs> <laughs>